Welcome to Herd Art Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter 21 of Northern Lights, Lord Asriel's Welcome. Hi, Faye. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I am. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, I think. (laughs) Yeah, same. 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 Am I? Yes. (laughs) It's hard to tell, isn't it? You've got to kind of check in with yourself. When I was thinking about looking up what I thought my demon might be this week, I was like, what's the grumpiest animal? And then I was like... Hey, check yourself. You've not even been that grumpy this week. You've had quite a nice week. Stop being so miserable. So <laughs> I need to kind of check in with myself a bit more often and be like, but are you having a good time? You are actually, aren't you? Stop being so grumpy. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've just started uh, therapy again and I'm kind of in that zen state that happens after therapy before all your problems come rushing back. So I'm feeling all right. <laughs> Ask me in two hours. Nice. <laughs> you've done some filing and you're feeling organized and you've not turned around to look at the mess that's behind you yet <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly that's a very good analogy one thing that happened this week was that we saw each other in real life oh god we did in person from a distance from a distance but like a closer distance than ever before yeah <laughs> well not than ever before <laughs> but then, then before social distancing i went to rich's house for a barbecue and it was lovely Sat in the garden. Faye walked for an hour to get to me. That is true love if ever I've heard of it. <laughs> an hour there and an hour back. And it was worth it. How was the hour back? It was fine. Yeah? yeah. You weren't too tipsy? No. We wa- went to walk through a cemetery and then it ended up being closed at the other end. So we had to walk back. And then, yeah. The reason why we left yours was because we wanted to go to Brick Brewery in Peckham for a pint because they were doing pints. And then Liam had got the wrong time and it actually shut at five that day. So he didn't get any of the good things you wanted out of it. No. Damn it. Uh, I should have filled up your water bottle with a mojito for the road. That would have been ideal. I forced Rich into recording tonight because it's supposed to be 30 degrees this week. And I was like, Rich, please can we record on this particular night when it's only supposed to be 22 degrees so I don't burn alive (laughs) in this fucking flat because I will. I graciously rearranged my schedule. I don't have that much of a schedule. <laughs> Do we have anything else just, to say here? Uh, I think you're forgetting to remind everybody that if they haven't listened to the last episode we released, oh that, my that God. was a very special interview with Daphne Keane. How could I forget? How could you forget, Faye? Daphne is our new best friend. Uh, oh my God, she so is. She so is. Yes, it's out. We hope you've listened. If you haven't, it's there for you to listen to. If you haven't read all of the books, don't listen yet. And if you haven't watched season one of the TV show, also don't listen yet. Yeah, but for, the, for the love of God, for the rest don't of listen. <laughs> yeah, do not do it. You have so been warned. So many spoilers, yeah. So many spoilers. But yeah, oh, so good. Loved her so much. People seem to like the interview, so I'm glad about that. And she's just, yes. she was just so much fun to talk to. Yeah, it was so nice. It, highlight of lockdown, definitely. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. It made me feel young again. Like listening to a 15, 16 year old and how like... She had such a zest for life. And I was like, I remember those days. (laughs) They're not that far behind you. I'm 28. You're not an octogenarian yet. (laughs) Nearly 29. It's over for me. 
<laughs> so I actually, I actually am 27 now. I can yeah. tell everyone the age that I actually am. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's. I'm joking. I know I'm not old. I just like to be Mardi. Also, Mardi is a really northern word. I was thinking about that recently. This is completely off topic. I've spoken to people that thought that the Arctic Monkeys song Mardi Bum was like n- nonsense words. <laughs> like, oh, it's just like a made up word, isn't it? It's like, well made up and commonly used by northerners for centuries thanks very much okay (laughs) this is interesting all right so people that are listening hello if you're not from the north of england and you don't know what mardi bomb means or just mardi in general please let us know it was like a staple of my growing up calling someone mardi yeah also if you don't know what mardi means send us your guess Tell us what you think yeah. it means. <laughs> I'm not gonna, we're not going to tell you in this episode now. That's it. I was going to no. tell you, but we're not going to tell you now. And don't Google it. Just guess and let us know. Great tangent. <laughs> classic content, Hefe. Classic. Speaking of brilliant content, let's take a little photo for our Discord patrons Yay. to say hello. And as always, if you want to join in the Discord, you can become a patron. Patreon.com. HDMPod. And sometimes we just throw random bits in there because this weekend we were getting the Daphne interview ready to go and we were just like, shall we just whack it on the Patreon? And then we whacked some pictures that we took, some screenshots that we took with Daphne in there too. Sometimes you'll just just get some random shit that we're just like, yeah, let's do it. Also, the other thing we wanted to remind you of is that we have a website. We do have a website. If you remember last week or the week before or whenever we last spoke to you before the Daphne interview, I said that one of the reasons that we did it is because of SEO and Liam told us to do it. So the, another thing that Liam told us was that if we want the website to show up higher up on Google, then people need to click on it. So if you wouldn't mind, just go and have a look at the website. It's hdmpod.co.uk. It's quite nice, if I do say so myself. It's got lots of Rachel's artwork. Have a read, have a little look, because then that means that when you Google us, it should come up a little bit higher. Will actually show up when you Google our names. Or, yeah. Well, not our names, the podcast name. <laughs> the scary tech stuff is still scary. Scary tech stuff is the bane of my life. Yeah, scary internet stuff. I just like, I'm too not relaxed about it because I can get furiously into it, but like also I can't be bothered. I want people to find our podcast, but also I don't want the stress of like making it a thing on Google and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't understand how it works. I don't understand how it works. It's alien to me. I can become like unhealthily obsessed with over why things don't work. Yes. So especially yeah, yeah. with my own artwork, I can get into a, like a, a not very fun loop of feeling like I have to post something new every single day on social medias to like keep my boost my things because I have this super great thing where my unhealthy relationship with social media is one that I can't break away from because I rely on social media for my sales. <laughs> yeah, I know, that must be so tough. The internet is a scary place. Yes. Full of lovely things and then some horrible things and then some lovely people and then some horrible people and you've just got to work out who you want to be nice to. <laughs> so if you'd like to be nice to us, you can find us at HDM Pod. Or www.hdmpod.co.uk. Does anyone say www. anymore? I love that you fucking did that. If you, I feel like I'm on SMTV Live. <laughs> like... Ah, it's like the '90s all over again. Yeah, www. on the, on the World Wide Web. <laughs> HTTP forward slash semicolon. Is there a colon in that? Or is it HTTP forward slash? It, isn't it HTTPS colon? forward slash forward slash www yeah. www <laughs> <laughs>
hdmpod.co.uk. <laughs> oh, also, on the website, there's a little submission box where you can like write a little note to us, which people have been doing and we've been fucking loving, so... I know we always say that you should email us because we bloody love an email and we bloody do, but we also bloody love a submission. And also, it's not as, like, maybe scary as an email because you can just, like, mm-hmm. literally whack your name. It also magically turns into an email, so to us it looks like an email anyway. Yeah, exactly. It comes to our email inbox and it makes us think we've got another email, so. Hey, Faye. What are you reading at the moment? Oh, a question you weren't expecting. Oh my <laughs> God. I thought you were going to throw the demon question at me. I was all ready with my answer. I am reading Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edder Lodge. And I hope I'm saying that right. I'm really enjoying it. Again, it's kind of just highlighted to me. I'm, I'm only like a couple of chapters in and it's highlighting to me because it's, it's mostly about, well, so far, it's mostly about British black culture and uh, black people and and their history and it's highlighting to me how fucking little I knew about it and just like how little we were taught in school. How atrocious was that education? I don't understand how we learned about slavery in the US but didn't learn about slavery in the UK. You just get this really skewed view of the world because unfortunately so many history books are written by cis white men yeah, who are slave owners or were related to slave owners or benefited from slavery in some way and therefore really enjoyed not writing about the ways in which they were awful. And it's so deeply rooted in the UK's history. I just never learned about at school. And I'm glad to be taking the time to do some of that education now. Yeah, me too. And it is really scary how huge things like that can be massively brushed under the carpet. Because there's like generations and generations of kids, including our generation, like we were just saying, that weren't taught this. And it's, you can't go looking for something that you don't know exists. I've had these uh, books on my reading list for a while, but it's only now that I've like really made the jump into actively trying to learn. And only now that I'm learning these things. And like, in a way, I'm ashamed that I didn't know it already. But also, like you said, I'm kind of looking forward to and enjoying taking the responsibility for learning it now myself. Absolutely. I think feeling guilty about not knowing things already doesn't do anybody any good because it's not productive and that guilt takes energy away from you that you could be putting towards educating, learning about ways that you can be more active and actually being active in the movement. It's hard. Of course it's hard. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. And that sounded like a Coldplay yes, lyric. Yes, fucking did. I was just going to say, all right, Coldplay, <laughs> fucking Chris Martin's here. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've been, I'm still making my way through How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And he lays everything out in such a great way. But I've recently been struggling to focus on two things at once because I've been doing an audiobook mm-hmm. and I feel like it deserves more of the like attention yeah. span that I need to have to kind of input the information so unfortunately i haven't been reading as much this week as i've wanted to Mm -hmm. but i think it's also really important to like you're no good to anybody if you're completely zapped of energy and unable to be productive with the strong feelings that you're having um so i think it's really important to do the things that you need to do like self-care wise and take the breaks that you need to take because it is an absolute privilege to be able to say, oh, I needed to take a break from this. But also you're no good to anybody if you're completely zapped of energy yeah. and feeling rubbish. So. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. 
I've also been listening to a podcast called 1619, which is about slavery in America and how that came about and how black people then went on to shape what America looks like today. And that's really good. I'm enjoying that a lot. And then I've also nearly finished Pers. I fucking love Pers. I got partway through and then there was one episode that was really, really sad and I did not watch it. I guess it's worth mentioning, especially as we are like halfway through Pride Month. Mm hmm pretty much and there would be no pride without black trans women and black trans people and there's so underrepresented in media and underrepresented in the movement and then overrepresented in number of people killed by the police mm, yeah. and by violent incidences and it's not okay no so just as we're like celebrating pride month and it's a it's the weirdest pride month i think truly we've had in quite a few years because everyone's in lockdown there's all these big events that we'd usually be doing aren't happening so it's really important i think to kind of channel that energy and maybe use the time that you would have been partying and getting dressed up and spending time celebrating and being proud with your family and your friends especially with your chosen family and actually maybe sharing resources with your chosen family and doing some of the research on why why pride exists and why we need to kind of keep up momentum as well with Definitely. all the causes that it represents. Absolutely. And also happy pride. I can't believe we haven't said it yet. Oh, happy pride. I love pride so much. Yes. Yes. Pride. Like Rich said, there's a lot of stuff going on within within pride and within Black Lives Matter. They've kind of like come together this month to put on a united front, which I think is really beautiful. And I think that it's something that will be talked about for years and hopefully something that I can that I hope continues like in the next prize that come along I hope that that kind of marriage between the two causes continues definitely pride month is like a month of celebration but also it's a month that can be quite hard for a lot of people so if you are struggling especially in lockdown if you're with family members that are struggling to accept you for who you are if you're not out to them please take care of yourself please do what you need to do to feel safe and we're always here. We're always at the end of an email. If anyone ever wants to chat and say hi. Um, Very true. We're yeah. always a friendly ear. We're not professionals, but we are empathetic ears for anyone that is struggling this month because it is also a tough time for some people. Absolutely. 100% agree. Hey, Faye, what would your demon have been this week? So mine's quite a simple one this week. I was trying to think about, hmm, what's my vibe? What have I been feeling? And I've been super busy. We have obviously had loads on with the podcast, like the Daphne interview and the other episodes that we've done and all the admin kind of stuff that we get done in the background that you guys thankfully don't get to see. And work's been really busy too. So I've just been a bit of a busy bee. So I'm just going to say I'm a bee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little bee. Cute. And you're so sweet, like honey. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Would you say you're a queen bee or a work bee? <laughs> oh, obviously I'm a queen bee. Uh, why do I even ask <laughs> how dare you a queen bee that's working very hard <laughs> yeah in my in my brain I'm a queen bee but probably realistically I'm probably a work bee oh <laughs> what is your demon I again I've been on a super fun weird google moment so it is a type of cat I know my regular demon <laughs> is a cat but I was looking at different types of cats. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if my demon was always a cat, but then he could just change into like whatever type of cat suited my mood the best. 
And then I was just looking at loads of different types of wildcats that are really cute. Obviously, I went down a hole. I'm going to send you a picture of this cat because it's fucking adorable. Okay. So my demon would have been a sand cat. Ooh. They live in the desert. Do they actually? They do. So it's like one of the few like desert mammals that's, they're, they're really, people don't see them very often because they're very elusive and they like to stay hidden and they like to nap all day in the shade which is like when it's really hot outside all i want to do is nap all day in the Mm -hmm. shade Mm -hmm. and i know that this week's going to be super hot so also they're extra fluffy which means they're really cozy at night but they're really insulated against the heat in the day so this week's going to be really hot my cat would be really happy they have extra long fur between their toe beans (laughs) so that their paws don't burn on the hot sand (laughs) How cute is that? And they also don't make paw prints when they walk because their their toes are so fluffy. Oh, my God. Which I just think is extra cute. And then they've got absolutely giant ears. They, like, hunt in the dark and they've got to be really good at listening. I'm not very good at listening. I have quite a short attention span. If my demon was a cat with really big ears, he'd be able to, like, fill me in on all the stuff I missed because, like, my mind wandered off. Yeah, that's Um, true. Yeah. Oh, and also... I've been really bad at drinking water recently and staying hydrated. These guys, they literally don't need to drink. They yeah. don't drink anything. The only way the way they stay hydrated is because they eat their prey whole and it's oh. all they need. All right. <laughs> yeah. So they're kind of like vampires as well because <laughs> they just drink the water they consume as the blood of their victims. God. <laughs> they guess. must have like, what do they eat? Because they must have like massive throats if they're eating things whole. They eat insects and then sometimes mice. Oh, okay, fine. Are they like big cat or small cat? They're kind of like the size of a house cat, but they've got really big ears. And then they've got like wicked good eyeliner as well, which is really cute. I've never heard of these cats. Last chapter, Yorick arrived at the Bear Palace and Lyra told him he must fight Yoffa to the death. Yorick and Yoffa got in the goriest, most badass bear fight anyone has ever seen. Yorick won and became the new king of the bears. Lyra found out that Mrs. Coulter was behind all the bear conflict and was on her way to Svalbard. Yorick agreed to take Lyra to see Asriel. This chapter, Yorick and the bears take Lyra and Roger to Asriel's house. Asriel does not seem impressed to see Lyra at first, and Roger senses a sinister vibe. Asriel is a dick to Lyra, classic, but finally tells her all about Dust and his plan to cross over to the city in the Aurora. Faye, this is chapter 21. I know. We have two chapters left. I know. We're in the penultimate, penultimate chapter. This is like Christmas Eve Eve. <laughs> truly is. It truly... Oh, we're, we're so close to the end. So close. I can taste it. I can taste the end. By the way, also, I don't know if we've said this out loud on the podcast. I don't know if it's just obvious, but just so everyone knows, we will be going on to do the soul knife. <laughs> and the other <laughs> books. This is not just an Northern Lights podcast. We're, we're going to make our way through them all. Don't you worry. Yes, it is a plan. There may be a, a short intermission between the Northern Lights and the Soul Knife. We'll be back with more information on that soon. Because classic us, we haven't figured it out yet. We need to sort our <laughs> shit out first. <laughs> if you could see the behind the scenes of our schedule, I love it so much. We're just like, shall we do this this week? Shall we not? Who knows? I feel like we could have a more organised schedule. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's lockdown. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a... I had everything written yeah. in my calendar before lockdown started and I've had to cross it all out and my calendar looks messy and I'm not happy with it. Right? 
Anyway. Anyway. So yeah, at the end of the last chapter, Lyra was ready to head off with some bears. And at mm-hmm. the beginning of this chapter, she's riding a bear. She so is. that's good. And she's struggling. And she doesn't know if it's because he's... Shit. I assume this is a he bear because, let's face it, last chapter we found out the she bears weren't well treated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this bear doesn't seem to be as smooth a ride as Yorick was. She, Lyra's struggling. She's knackered. She's a bit traumatised. She's cold. Yeah. And this bear is like the bumpiest ride and she's just not having a great time of it, to be honest. She sounds sounds pretty tired. So it sounds like there's like a full, not army, but there's quite a few bears. Like, so Yorick's leading the way and then Lyra's on a bear, Roger's on a bear, and then they've got bears behind them that have got like fucking fire shooty things. Fire hurlers fire and stuff, hurlers, yeah. yeah. So they've got a, a regiment just in case, because obviously we know from last chapter that uh, there's Cliff Gas about and also Mrs. Coulter is on her way with a Zeppelin. Bum, bum, bum. Coulter's approaching. She doesn't know where they're going or how far away it is. Obviously, she knows that they're going to Asriel's place, but she's got no idea where or how long they'll be riding the bears for. It says it made me laugh because it says all she knew was what the older bear, Soren Ierson? Soren Ice Arson. I yeah, I miss that. Ice Arson. Think ice. Think arson. Ice <laughs> arson. Yeah. I'm yeah. probably I'm probably saying that completely wrong. I'm so sorry. Any Scandinavian folks that know how that's actually sounding. Uh, Lo will tell us, I'm sure. Thank you, Lo. Yeah. We appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all she knew was what the older bear Soren Isason had told her while they were preparing the fire hurler. And, like, it makes it sound like she doesn't know that much because she's, like, all she knew. And then it gets to the bit what the bear had told her. It's fucking shitloads. The bear told her loads of stuff. The bear is, like, an exposition delivery man. <laughs> right? <laughs> we we learn a lot here, right? Svalbard bears they regarded Lord Asriel as being no different from any of the other politicians, kings, or troublemakers who had been exiled to their bleak island. The prisoners were important or they would have been killed outright by their own people. They might be valuable to the bears one day if their political fortunes changed and they returned to rule in their own countries. So it might pay the bears not to treat them with cruelty or disrespect. So they're trying to get a good bear B&B rating. Yes, they are. (laughs) But then the thing is, they're trying to treat them without cruelty or disrespect. But they've got loads of them in, well, Yurfa have loads of them in a little fucking prison cell. So this is the thing, it's this whole section just kind of points out, and I think it could be a really interesting parallel to draw between the treatment of, for example, a a visiting scholar, which we know from Lyra's encounter with the professor last week. When Lyra was thrown in the prison, that was like a a commoner's level prison, I think, because Mm. he's not some kind of nobleman. It sounds like Asriel is important enough that he was treated better off from the beginning, which... It's almost like instead of being sent to regular prison, he's sent to the fancy prison with the golf course and the cable TV that um, posh people that do tax fraud get sent mm. to instead of... For like uh, three days. Yeah. 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 It sounds like that kind of prison. But then why wouldn't they just kill that other guy then? So like it says that they treat them with less cruelty and disrespect because one day they might need them basically to help them out. But I wonder if that guy just got forgotten about. Maybe, but I there were know. other prisoners there though, right? Because they were building a shelter. True. Maybe it was Yuffa. Maybe he kind of disregarded those people, but I don't really think that they can say that they treat them 
without cruelty or disrespect when they've got them in a fucking prison. And as far as we know, Asriel's the only one that they're kind of lording over. Excuse the pun. Also, the level that we recognise as not being treated with cruelty or disrespect may be very different in Lyra's world and may be very different in the perspective of the bears. The bears are going, we're feeding them. We've not killed him. We've not maimed him. We're probably doing quite well. That's so. <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. The bears have different standards than us. Basically, Azriel is a master manipulator and manages to get himself a house that is nicer than the palace. I don't fucking know. Ugh. This guy, he, he's that person that everyone hates, isn't he? That can just like walk into a situation and blag absolutely yeah. anything. Yeah. But he's an absolute asshole. But doesn't this make you think, it made me think, like, scratch the arsehole part of it. Lol, scratch the arsehole. Amazing. <laughs> well done, me. Well done, me. <laughs> so, this highlights me how like her dad Lyra is, and mm. how like her mum and dad Lyra is. So, she's got the clever... They're both super clever. We cannot deny that. She's got the cleverness of both of them, and the persuasion and coercion skills as well. And I think that Mrs. Coulter and Asriel are very similar, and maybe that's why it didn't work out between them. Yeah, probably. They're both so good at constructing lies and manipulation that they can see through each other's, or it bounces off each other, because they've both got their own facades up so high. Yeah. They let Asriel choose where he's going to live, and he's alright, picky bastard. The first one he was allotted was too low down. He needed a high spot. Blah, blah, blah. And he gave, like, the bears a design of the accommodation that he wanted. He told them where it should be. Like, fucking hell. Yeah, he got fancy windows brought in that are extra expensive. The line at the very end of the description of his house is, there he dwelt, a prisoner acting like a king. And I think that's just a perfect description. Is it that he's so deluded he doesn't even realise he's a prisoner? Or is he such a master manipulator that he's... He clearly isn't really a prisoner because he's getting to do exactly what the fuck he wants and it's almost like he's got protection and not prison. I think that line is so fierce. Like, I fucking love that. Wouldn't you love to, like, have that attitude about yourself? And also, I just don't think that Asriel would ever allow himself to think of himself as a prisoner, even if he was thrown into a cell like that professor was. I think he would find some way, like Lyra did, to like manipulate himself out of there or into a better situation. I don't think that Definitely. he would ever allow, his brain wouldn't allow him to think that he was a prisoner, no matter how like dire the situation was. He also has this thing of he's involved with big things. He's involved with big events that other people are intimidated to talk about or are intimidated by the concept of. So a lot of it is that he <laughs> is blagging a lot of it he's insisting that he's allowed to have visitors because he's entitled to it and this is yeah. a human law which i think he got away with because of yoffa ratnison's obsession with wanting to be like a human mm -hmm. and then he also got a lot of stuff done because he was working to complete a task that was so ominous and you know if he's mentioned dust that's quite a buzzword yeah everyone knows that he's being locked up for being heretical and doing controversial experiments and there's probably like a bit of intrigue in there as well and the bears don't necessarily know about all the particle physics that he's working with so they might be more inclined to work with him 
as opposed to against him because they don't know what power he wields. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think being like shrouded in this mystery is definitely helpful. So yeah, he's like sending out for books and equipment and all that kind of shit. It says, and so he worked thinking and planning and calculating, waiting for the one thing he needed to complete the task that so terrified the ablation board. It was drawing closer every minute. The alethiometer, Lyra. Lyra. She's currently drawing closer every minute. As is the alethiometer, assuming that she still has it in her little pouch. They take a little break because Lyra is almost broken. And while they're taking a break and stretching their legs and shaking their little feeties out and trying not to like cramp up on the backs of these bears, they see Asriel's house. Yeah. Or palace almost on the clifftop where it is. A wide, broken slope of tumbled rocks and ice where a track had been laboriously cleared led up to a crag outlined against the sky. There was no aurora, but the stars were brilliant. The crag stood black and gaunt, but at its summit was a spacious building from which light spilled lavishly in all directions. Not the smoky, inconstant gleam of blubber lamps, nor the harsh white of ambaric spotlights, but the warm, creamy glow of naphtha. The windows from which the light emerged also showed Lord Azrael's formidable power. Glass was expensive and large sheets of it were prodigal of heat in these fierce latitudes. So to see them here was evidence of wealth and influence far greater than Joffa Ragnarsson's vulgar palace. I googled what prodigal meant because I didn't know oh, what good. it meant. Well, it says prodigal means spending money or using resources freely and recklessly. So like being wastefully extravagant. Yeah, you're in the middle of an ice field. Why have you got massive windows for the heat to come out of? Yeah, exactly. And then also that's probably expensive to make and ship because they're big and fragile. Yeah. Hazriel, you're such a fancy bastard. <laughs> being so fucking extra in this chapter. Just like calm down, mate. They hop on the bears for the last bit of the journey. And Lyra and Roger head towards the door of Asriel's house when they get there. And like she's super excited because it's going to be warm and they're going to have a rest and it's going to be all good. Yeah. And then the door opens and Thorold's there. It's Asriel's manservant. I hate that word, manservant. I hate the word servant, but like manservant just annoys me. <laughs> I don't know why. Just say servant. Why does it have to be gendered? It's the same thing as like lady in waiting though, isn't it? It's of a time period where people just bloody love to gender everything. Mm, true, true. It's outdated and it should be thrown away. <laughs> it should. So we've met Thorold before, right? In like the earlier chapters, didn't he come in with... We did. Asriel. He was carrying the cases. Poor Thorold was carrying Asriel's bags in and Asriel was rude to him. Thorold has got a dog demon. And yeah. I should Google this because I've never heard of this dog breed before. A pincher? Yeah. Is it like a is it a Doberman pincher? Or is, it, is a pincher a Doberman? Or is a Doberman pincher a crossbreed? It's German. A German... Well, there's different types. There's one called a German pincher. And then there's one called a miniature pincher. And people call them minpins. Aww. Minpins? That's cute. I don't think it's one of those. No. They're really sweet looking dogs, actually. They look quite Doberman-y. Yeah, they do. Thorold is so shocked to see Lyra, but not as fucking shocked as Asriel, who has a full-on epic meltdown. Yeah. Okay, so Lyra's in the hallway. She's seen the hall. It all looks lovely. It looks like Jordan College, and she's almost brought to tears by how like homely and familiar it is. And then Lord Asriel's snow leopard demon growled. Lyra's father stood there, his powerful, dark-eyed face, at first fierce, triumphant and eager, and then all the colour faded from it. 
His eyes widened in horror as he recognised his daughter. No! No! He staggered back and clutched at the mantelpiece. Lyra couldn't move. Get out, Lord Asriel cried. Turn around, get out, go. I did not send for you. She couldn't speak. She opened her mouth twice, three times, and then managed to say, No, no, I I came because... He's an absolute dickhead, isn't he? (laughs) Right. It's the biggest overreaction. And I remember seeing it in the TV show. I remember James McAvoy doing a great job of doing this. But also, I was like, God, I don't remember it being that over the top in the book. But it truly is. Like, and literally they took that. I think they pretty much took it line for line in the TV show. Because I remember, I remember James McAvoy being like, I did not send for you. And like knocking over shit. And I'm like, what is going on here? So mm-hmm. extra. So fucking it's extra. so extra. Okay. So this is the only crack that we see in his usually very calm facade. Yeah. And we don't know why he's had such an overreaction to Lyra being there. But what we do know is that, so he seems appalled. He kept shaking his head. He held up his hands as if to ward her off. She couldn't believe his distress. She moved a step closer to reassure him and Roger came to stand with her, anxious. Their demons fluttered around in the warmth and after a moment, Lord Asriel passed a hand across his brow and recovered slightly. The colour began began to return to his cheeks and he looked down at the two children. Interesting. Mm. What's calmed him down? What What a weird reaction to have, Asriel. Basically, what has happened here is he's lost his shit at Lyra. The only thing that we know is that Roger's come to stand with her and their demons have fluttered out into the warmth, like you said. And then somewhere in that, he's calmed down. He's calmed down. Yeah. Yeah. But also, the next thing that happens is Lord uh, Lord Asriel is like, Lyra, is that you? She's like, yes, Uncle Asriel, because she doesn't feel that now is the moment to bring up the fact that he's a dad, which is very considerate of Lyra. He asks who... Roger is. And Lyra's like, oh, it's Roger Parslow. He's the kitchen boy from Jordan. <laughs> Lyra, he's more than just the kitchen boy. He is How your best friend who you have traversed dare. the globe to rescue. He is more than just a kitchen boy. How dare you? Like, how fucking dare? Fucking fuming. I would be livid. Imagine if <laughs> imagine if someone was like, oh, who's this about you? And I was like, oh, that's fair. She works in comms. <laughs> it's got fuck all to do with my relationship to you, what your job is. <laughs> like, that's rich, that bitch that makes toys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not like, oh, we've been friends for many years and host a podcast together. Like, <laughs> it's so oh. weird. Like, I mean, I, like, is she saying it because that's how she thinks Asriel would know him? So, obviously, Asriel frequents jordan college but she could just be like he's my best friend yeah he's like a brother to me totally i i've i I don't understand in fact the very reason i'm here is because i set off on a mission to rescue him let me tell you about it but no she's just like oh he's the kitchen boy oh my god (laughs) justice for roger forever forever definitely (laughs) it's interesting because he asks how they got there and Mm -hmm. lyra mentions yorick and i'm quite surprised that Asriel doesn't know who Yorick is because I would have thought that like Yoffa would have bragged about banishing him at some point. Well, his whole thing when if he were to beat Yorick in the fight was that no nobody would be allowed to speak Yorick's name again. Yeah. So I wonder if Yoffa was intimidated enough by the fact that Yorick was alive and out in the world that he just didn't want to mention him. 
Yeah, maybe. Asriel then tells Thorol to run the kids a bath, etc., while he goes outside to talk to Yorick. Lyra tells Roger to get in the bath first, and then she'll wait outside and they can talk. Are they about to share the same bath water? It sounds like Roger's about to have a bath, and then Lyra's going to get in that same bath water. That's how I read yeah. it. Yeah. But think how fucking filthy they are. But it's like a standard thing, isn't it? I always remember learning about it at school in my... The, the weird things you do learn at school when you're not learning about race. Mm. So things like in olden times, I don't know how olden, you when you'd like fill a bath, it costs so much to heat the water and it was so much effort to do. So you'd draw a bath and then it would be like, dad would have a bath and then mum would have a bath and then the oldest kid would have a bath until it got down to like the youngest kid or the least favourite child that would have a bath in the coldest, shittiest water. It's fucking gross. I hate baths. I think they're fucking gross. You're just stewing in your own filth. Have a shower. <laughs> Have a shower. Uh, occasionally a bath is nice, like if you've got achy muscles and you're not filthy and you just want to like soak in hot water. I just get too like, hot. I don't understand when someone can get into like a scalding hot bath. No thank you to that. But then also if you don't get into a scalding hot bath within a very short period of time, that is a lukewarm bath that does not feel nice. Yeah, I just, it's too much effort. It goes cold super quick. You're either burning alive or you're freezing cold in your own shit. No, thank you. Also, it's probably quite considerate of Lyra to let Roger go first because Lyra's probably dirtier than Roger is at this point. So if they do have to share bathwater, Roger going first is probably better because he's not been thrown into a bear prison, (laughs) hasn't got bloody up to the elbows with the blood of Yorick Burnison while patching up his wounds. Like, he's probably a lot cleaner than she is, so it's probably the correct order to go in. God, I bet she fucking stinks. I don't even want to think about how tangly her hair is. Oh, God, yeah. I didn't brush my hair all week last week. I just kept ignoring the problem and tying my hair back up. And it was so hard to brush when I went to, like, brush it to wash my hair on Friday. It was shameful. And I was like, this is probably how Lyra feels. I don't brush my hair, I only brush it when I wash it. But also mine is wavy, so if I brush it, it fucks it up. So I brush it in the shower, and then I don't brush it all week. See, I just have ridiculously straight hair that it turns into like a little like matted lug at the back of my hair. A little bird's nest if I don't brush it. And also Lyra's not going to be able to deal with her own hair in this bath. Mrs Coulter isn't here to creepily oh, brush God. her hair for her while she's bathing. <laughs> Maybe Roger will do it. Maybe not. <laughs> We get like little hints of them growing up, don't we? Because it says that they swam naked together before this, but it's different now. And also, it could be different because they're growing up, but also different because like a bath is more intimate than just swimming naked with each other. They'd be sat super close together in a bath. Yeah. And like other children were probably around. Yeah. Like if a whole big group of you go skinny dipping, it's not the same as like two people in a in a lantern lit room in a wood panelled bathroom or whatever in a fancy lodge in the ice get like dipping into a bath together yeah very true also they're both probably filthy nobody needs to see that amount of scrubbing occurring to another human being (laughs) roger's in the bath they're talking through the door roger says that he's scared of asriel i'm like thanks roger he's always speaking the truth do you know what i mean like he's always spitting truth bombs and i am thankful Mm -hmm. and then lyra says that she's scared of him sometimes too roger says kind of what we were hinting at earlier that he, that Asriel was horrified until he saw Roger and then he calmed down. What does that mean? What's going on? Yeah, Lyra is very Lyra-centric in all of this. And it's just like, oh, he was just shocked. Like anyone would be to see someone they didn't expect. The last time he saw me after all was in the like retiring room, like 
why would I be on the other side of the world? He was just so shocked to see me. And Roger was like, no, it's more than that. He was looking at me like a wolf or something. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed the spelling of something. It's yeah. S-U-M-M-I-N-G, it's summing, which I just, I love it, Roger. Lovely little colloquialisms. But yeah, looking at you like a wolf, it's as a woman existing in the world. I unfortunately do know what it feels like to have somebody look at you a bit like a wolf. Mm. I don't enjoy a predatory gaze, thank you very much. Absolutely and I not. 100% appreciate Roger following his gut instinct in saying, yes, that man is scary. Because there is such a thing as a gut instinct when you feel a predatory gaze. And Roger, I'm on board with you. You've recognised that he's a nasty man and we don't like him. Exactly. And I am with you on that as well. And also do not like that Lyra just fucking gaslights him. She's yeah. like, oh, you're imagining it. And it's like, no, don't. I hate it. Do you know what? I'd be very happy if nobody ever said that phrase to me again. I hate it when people say to you, oh, you're just imagining it. No, it's my truth. You can't yeah. tell me that I'm imagining something. You don't have access to my brain and you don't know my thoughts and feelings. So how fucking dare you? Yeah. No, thank you. Lyra, you're not doing, you're not being a very good friend. Because also Roger then goes on to say that he's more scared of Azrael than he was of Mrs. Coulter. And Roger knows what Mrs. Coulter was doing. And Mrs. Coulter kidnapped him as well. She kidnapped him and cut children apart. Yeah. And he knows this and he's more scared of the look that Azriel gave him. Yeah. And Lyra asks him if he wants her to ask the symbol reader. And he says some very wise words, I think. He says, I really love this. Yeah. He says, well, I don't know. There's things I'd rather not know. Seems to me everything I heard of since the gobblers come to Oxford, everything's been bad. There ain't been nothing good more than about five minutes ahead. Like, I can see now, this bath's nice, and there's a nice warm towel there, about five minutes away. And once I'm dry, maybe I'll think of something nice to eat, but no further ahead than that. And when I've eaten, maybe I'll look forward to a kip in a comfortable bed. But after that, I don't know, Lyra. There's been terrible things we've seen, haven't there? And more are coming, more unlikely. So I think I'd rather not know what's in the future. I'll stick to the present. And I'm like, fucking wise words, Roger. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like... A really clever way of telling somebody how to deal with a panic attack in a lot of ways. Yeah. Of just like, okay, what's something you can do in the immediate in the immediate future that will make you feel better? Some deep breathing. What can you do after that? Pop the kettle on and have a cup of tea. Sit with the cup of tea. Think through things. Breathe deeply. What can you do after that? Go and get a warm blanket and sit in a place that makes you feel like all of these things that you can do in little incremental steps that are good for you. Yeah. But poor Roger is thinking of it just like these are the nice things in the world that can happen to me that I know about and I don't want to know about anything else because everything else is too horrid which is quite sad actually <laughs> yeah it made me think about 2020 it's like I don't want to know what's coming up in 2020 2020 mm -hmm. has already been horrendous for all of us I'm, I'm kind of good like I don't I'll just live in the present thanks I don't want to think about what's coming for the rest of the year oh uh, yeah I'm quite happy not knowing I've done my planning a whole year ahead of schedule and that year turned out to be 2020 so yeah no I'll not plan anything more than a week in advance we're all good <laughs> you tried and the universe said nah fuck off yeah I planned a year I booked myself into like eight or nine conventions to do across the year and had completely scheduled my year and everything that I was going to do and then run up to those conventions my year was regimented as fuck like the most it has ever been because I'm a freelancer and I usually just go job to job week on week and I don't know what's next and this year I was like no all of these things and then 2020 happened oh, <laughs> I was like oh oh we're gonna have a oh. pandemic instead Pff, fine great great, <laughs> great. <laughs> So yeah, 
the Roger philosophy. Yeah. Is what I'm, and Lyra yeah. says that she also feels like that sometimes as well. And she holds the alethiometer for a little bit. And it says that the swinging of the needle passed her by. And I wanted to ask, does it usually swing on its own? Is it trying to tell us something? Does I don't it, know. Is it completely like stock still when it's not being used? Or does that needle move? Oh, you know what? I'm not sure. There's not really a description of how it is between her doing things. No. Like maybe it's lazily just swinging around and when she asks the question, it like stops with a purpose. Yeah. And like moves with purpose. But also like, you know, she's just expressed the want to ask a question and it's present in her mind while she's holding it. Mm. But she's not turned any dials. So perhaps it's swinging around in response to her mindset in some way. Yeah, it's like ready to go. But not... Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm. After they've both washed and eaten and drank wine, <laughs> lol, they're like 12 drinking wine, whatever, Thorol tells Roger to go to bed and Lyra that Asriel wants to see her. And this fucking room sounds ridiculous. so ridiculous, but so fucking amazing. So Lyra found Lord Asriel in a room whose wide windows overlooked the frozen sea far below. There was a coal fire under a wide chimney piece and a naphtha lamp turned down low. So there was little in the way of distracting reflections between the occupants of the room and the bleak starlit panorama outside. Lord Azrael, reclining in a large armchair on one side of the fire, beckoned her to come and sit in the other chair facing him. I fucking love that room. I would love a room like that. Mm -hmm. Just like a massive window where you can just look at the sea and the sky. Have you read a series of unfortunate events? No, I haven't. I think... The third book? I think it's the third book. One of the books is called The Wide Window. And this their aunt that they go to stay with lives in this house that's on stilts above a lake. And one room of the house is just a massive panoramic window that looks out across the entire breadth of the lake. Wow. And that's what it makes me think of as well. Oh, I fucking love that. Great big windows. So nice. We learned that Yorick's resting outside. Good to know that Yorick's okay. We always like to check in on Yorick, see what he's doing, what he's up to. He's fine. All good. Oh, he says that Yorick seems to have appointed himself as Lyra's guardian. Oh. Yeah, yeah Lyra underestimates herself here, though, because she says mm. that he was told to do it by John Farr, and that's why he's doing it, because he does his duty and he's a bear of honour. Yeah. But I think Lyra's doing herself a disservice there, as we find out later on. Absolutely. He asks how John Farr comes into this, and she says that she'll tell him if he tells her something. You're my father, aren't you? And he says, yes, so what? Asriel. Do you want me to read you my note on this? Yes. Lyra's talking to Asriel. Ask her if he's her father. He says, yes, so what? Uh, what kind of fucking reaction is that, Asriel? Fuck you, Asriel. Fuck you. Mine was, Asriel, you <laughs> asshole. What a fucking dick. Honestly. Your child, who you think doesn't know is your child, has travelled halfway across the world to find you. You're so shocked to see her. And then she comes out and says, I know you're my dad. And your reaction is just, yeah, what of it? And? And what? Like, just grow a personality. Grow a modicum of empathy. Disgusting. It's macho bravado that I do not like because that's what it comes off as really, really, like, just toxic as well. I am honestly right. I put a sticker on this a little bit further in the chapter, but I'm just going to fucking say it now since we're already on it. I 
I'm just so... Right. <laughs> I would really love to have a... <laughs> I know I'm not very calm right now, but I'd really love to have a calm chat with the people that like him. How can you like him? How... There's people... Right. I don't mean to be mean to everyone, but like, people have said that we're being harsh on Asriel. How is that not warranted? I have not seen anything that makes me feel a fucking ounce of respect for Azrael. He's a fucking dick. Like, how can you be a dick to your child? I understand that he's a great character and I completely agree with that. Like, reading him as a character, amazing. He is a great character. The fact that he makes you feel such strong feelings. Exactly. It, yeah. But he's not a likeable character and there seems to be a lot of people in the fandom that really like him. And I just want to chat to you because I really want to know what you, why you like him because he's the fucking worst. Lord Asriel stands, get in contact. Yeah. Let's do a book club. <laughs> Please. And I promise, I know, I know I'm a bit shouty right now, but I won't shout <laughs> at you. I just really want to know because he is a literal abuser. He's horrendous. He's horrific. It's interesting as this chapter proceeds, He's going to say a lot of stuff and a lot of the things are going to potentially explain why he is... He's an absolute Slytherin, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Harry Potter, drink. <laughs> he is ambitious above everything and I can understand why another ambitious soul or somebody that wants to have that ambition would feel a kinship to him or might admire that in him as an aspect of his personality because there is this drive and ambition to him. Mm-hmm that you could, you could never accuse him of being lazy. <laughs> he's got this drive, he's got this ambition, he's got this power and this charisma, clearly, just like Coulter. But none of those things make you a good person. Yeah. All of those things can be used if you are a good person to make positive change in the world. And even if you're not a good person, you could somehow enact positive change if your ambition is aligned with it. But... None of those things make him an actual good human being to interact with. Mm. And so it's one of those things where it's like there are, he has admirable qualities, but the qualities he has that are bad currently, in my scale of judgment, are a feather compared to the like pound of bullshit on the other side of that scale that is the way that he treats the people in his life. What the fuck is his problem? Like, what's his beef? He's got beef with like a 12-year-old child. Get a fucking life, mate. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm so mad about it. I'm so fucking mad about it. Lyra does do quite a good job in a lot of ways of um, kind of calling him out on it in the moment. Yeah. She says, so you should have told me that before. That's what. You shouldn't hide things like that from people because they feel stupid when they find out. And that's cruel. What difference would it make if I knew I was your daughter? I, you could have said it years ago. You could have told me and asked me to keep it secret. I don't think that would have been the right thing to do. <laughs> you could have told me and asked to keep it secret. I would, no matter how young I was. I'd have done that if you asked me. I'd have been so proud. Nothing would have torn it out of me if you'd asked me to keep it secret. But you never. You let other people know, but you never told me. And Lyra's finally feeling that sense of betrayal that we've been feeling on her behalf this whole time. And I'm just so glad she got to say it to his face. Oh, same. But then his reaction is just like, oh, like, who did tell you? She's like, John Farr. Did you tell you about your mother? Yes. Then there's not much left for me to tell. I don't think I want to be interrogated and condemned by an insolent child. I want to hear what you've seen and done on the way here. It's somebody that can't deal with emotion, right? Mm. 
surely he's maybe he's seeing this child having emotions he's like i can't deal with this i'm just gonna ask straight questions or something like he can't he's just completely failing to provide for her what she needs in the moment in a way that just comes off as selfish and rude and i'm trying to empathize with anything from him in this moment i can't i can't i i don't know where he's coming from i don't know how he can't fucking even if he doesn't mean it how he can't just extend his emotions for one second to just empathize with lyra a little bit all it took all it would take would just be a i'm sorry or yeah apologize yeah and he can't even do that he doesn't even have to fucking mean it that's all that she needs and i just he's such a fucking dick we know he can lie he's not even doing her the courtesy of lying to make her feel better i'm fuming fucking (laughs) this is a very shouty asriel chapter but i don't care because this is also the most we've seen of him we've heard of him and we've formed our opinion of him based on chapter one when we first met him but you know this is the other end of the book now this is the only other time we've met him in person and he's not done anything to alleviate our judgment of him thus far (laughs) and lyra is still fuming which i love um, although she's nearly in tears, which breaks my heart. Oh, no. She says, I brought you the bloody alethiometer, didn't I? I looked after it all the way out from Jordan. I hid it, I treasured it all through what's happened to us. I learned about using it. I carried it all this bloody way. I love that she's swearing. I know, me it's too. so cute. I could have I could have just given it up and been safe. And you weren't even said thank you, nor showed any sign you're glad to see me. Yes. Yes, Lyra. He hasn't even said thank you. He hasn't even inquired as to her well-being. He hasn't even apologised for the situation. Nothing. You fucking tell him, Lyra. You tell him. Then she says something which warms my heart. Oh, God. When you did see me, you liked fainted, as if I was some horrible thing you never wanted to see again. You ain't human, Lord Asriel. You ain't my father. My father wouldn't treat me like that. Fathers are supposed to love their daughters, aren't they? You don't love me, and I don't love you, and that's a fact. I love far decorum, and I love Yorick Bernison. I love an armoured bear more than I love my father, and I bet Yorick Bernison loves me more than you do. Oh. And he does. Oh, Lyra Silvertongue. Oh, and far decorum too. Dad. She's just declared her chosen family yeah. to her blood father and renounced him. Because that's what's right for her in this moment. And that's what she feels in her heart. And I, I'm i so here for it. I'm so here for it. Me too. And like, I know I always say this and everyone's probably sick of me saying this because the, these books are full of a child making these difficult choices. But also imagine being a child and making that difficult choice and knowing that it's the right choice as well. Like, I'm lucky, uh, we both are lucky enough to have grown up in families where we have parents that have always tried as well and we get on with and we love. And I'm sure there are many people out there listening to this that haven't had that situation. But for me, I can't ever imagine having to deal with that as a child. I'm just like, I'm always in awe of Lyra and how strong she is and how much she knows about herself. Yeah. And also a lot of this, a lot of these realizations must be coming to her very quickly because as we've seen up until less than a chapter ago she was still idolizing him quite heavily all she wanted to do was see him and actually physically seeing him in a lot of ways seems to have shattered this illusion for her and brought a lot of things 
into clearer focus like the family she actually wants and the people who actually care about her who she's seen care for her yeah definitely <sighs> yes lyra <laughs> but then the thing is again here he just fucking shits all over it again because he's just like you told you you told me yourself he's only following john Fall's orders if you if you're going to be sentimental i shan't waste my time talking to you that's just somebody that doesn't have the emotional competence to uphold a proper conversation with somebody yeah he can't talk about emotions, that's it. I feel like I'm so fucking fuming about this. And like, We're you're... so hurt up. <laughs> I'm so mad about it. But like, you're also mad about it. But you're articulating yourself really well. And I'm just like, I'm so fucking mad. He's a fucking <laughs> asshole. Like, I just can't help it. I can't fucking think straight. I'm so mad about it. You're bringing the passion. You're bringing the passion to this episode, Faye. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. <laughs> I am attempting to put it into words. But listening back, it's not going to sound as good as it does right now. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it will, it will. And thank you for putting my fucking sheer raw hatred into words. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things though where like, I can't imagine how frustrating it must be to be laying your heart bare and having a really emotionally raw conversation with somebody that is in no way empathising or displaying any emotion back at you, professing your love to a brick wall. It's horrible. Is basically what's happening. Like she's just getting nothing from him and it's very frustrating to read and it definitely builds that frustration and anger that we've had with Azriel this whole time and it really compounds it in this one interaction <laughs> in a way that's is infuriating. It's really infuriating. Lyra basically is like, take your bloody alethiometer then. I'm going back with Yorick. And Azriel, he's just cracking out all these really short sentences he's just like where and and she's like oh he'll yorick will fight with colter in the ablation board if they turn up mm -hmm. if he loses then i'll die by his side i don't care if he wins we'll go away with lee scoresby somewhere and then he's just like oh who's lee scoresby and i kind of hate that lyra's giving him this information because yeah. he wants the information and she's relinquishing it which feels like she's in some way losing this interact this mm conflict because she's relinquishing this information which is all he wants from her exactly yeah that's the thing isn't it this is what he wants from her and maybe in a way he knows how to get it and that's why when she is getting more and more angry he kind of knows okay if i just carry on like making her angrier then she's just gonna give me what i want yeah i don't like feeling that she's being manipulated in that way as well mm, i know but i kind of think that Maybe the subtext here is that the, one of the reasons why Lyra is getting angrier and angrier and angrier is because she kind of knows that she's been manipulated by him. Yeah. And she's known that that's been a thing since I think she's kind of realising now as she's shouting at him, Asriel's true colours and how he's treated her since she's been a kid. But also it's really difficult when you're in that situation and you're so used to being manipulated by someone. It's really difficult to stop your to stop letting yourself be manipulated by that particular person and then you do end up getting angry at yourself and i don't know like if i'm just projecting but like that's kind of the vibe that i get from this it's like she kind of doesn't want to be like spilling all this shit that he wants but he's just got such a way with manipulating her that she she's doing it anyway and like that's not of a fault yeah. that's not a fault on her it's so tough to get out of those types of relationships definitely yeah all she seems to want to do 
is given the alethiometer and get out of there. But he keeps asking her questions that, and again, I think her love of storytelling as well keeps kind of coming into it. Yeah. And she kind of like throws information at him like barbs in some ways as well, because she's like, oh, and I suppose I ought to tell you that Colt is on her way mm. in a way that's like, oh, you're welcome for this information that you should, you probably want to know. And now I'm telling you as a way to get back at you in a lot of ways. And somehow he kind of just keeps getting her to keep talking and it upsets me in a lot of ways. So he, mm. he says that Colter will never reach them. And she's like, oh, well, how do you know? Have you got an alethiometer too? And he's like, oh, I don't need an alethiometer for that. Now, I want to hear about your journey, Lyra. Start from the beginning. Tell me everything. And I think she's so into telling a story that she was just like, okay, I'll just tell him. But you're having an argument. You just try to do a dramatic exit and storm out. Like, girl, just storm out. He doesn't deserve your story. Just go. (laughs) Just fucking leave. But I did enjoy the bit where it says that she does tell him a story and it says... She began with her hiding in the retiring room and went on to the gobblers taking Roger and her time with Mrs. Coulter and everything else that had happened. And it just made me think of how far we've come. Think of all we've those chapters so that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Remember? Remember when we were at Mrs. Coulter's flat? That seems like forever ago. So long ago. Also, it feels like she's recognised that what he wants is an exchange of information because she then says, look, I've told you that. I've told you my story and you know what? To make up for the fact that you never told me you were my dad, you should probably tell me about dust now. Yeah. Because she's been asking about dust this whole bloody book and she's never been told. So it's about time we find out. It truly (laughs) is. And we do find out and it's a fucking lot, right? So (laughs) he confirms that dust is what makes the alethiometer work, which is Lyra Hood kind of put two and two together on that a little bit. Yeah, we suspected it as we much. Suspected it, yeah. <laughs> now we get the physics history rundown, which is not super relevant. It's not. It's but not. basically they were called Rusikov particles because somebody called Boris Rusikov discovered the elementary particle that dust that is now referred to as dust. It's kind of reconfirming the information that we know where it's a particle, a similar size to like a photon or a neutrino, but it doesn't react in the normal way. It's attracted to adults, but not to children. It seems to attract to children when their demons settle at puberty because of the way that the church is intertwined with the scientific community. The church bloody loves to just call everything sin. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I fucking laughed my ass off when it was like, the church doesn't like what you discovered, so you must be possessed. We're going to do an exorcism. I was like, oh yeah, calm down, mate. Fucking hell. The church exercises the guy that discovered the particle because they were like, we don't like this. You need an exorcism. And then they were like, and so what we've decided is you aren't lying you're not possessed this thing does exist but we're gonna say that this thing is sin they're just fucking like plucking out of the air we don't like it we're scared of it i know what it's sin smashed it done they've they've found like two and two and they've been like sin and it's what's it's got nothing i don't understand the link but i think it's just the way in which they've combined philosophy physics and religion Mm. in these books is also intertwined in that the powerful people within science and religion and politics all have like intertwining philosophies. It means that if a big scientific discovery happens, the church has to claim it in some way. 
yeah. or fit it into their philosophy somehow. But just make it sin. Sin it up. I, just, I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't. And also the thing is, it's like, I think you kind of partly explained it where like the church has to have its stamp on it in some way. But why does it even have to be a thing? It can just be dust and not mean anything. The fact that it settles on adults and not humans doesn't have to mean that it's sin or mean that it's anything. That could just be a thing that it does. And that's just how it exists. I guess it's powerfully linked to like a human curiosity with like what makes us, like the church's obsession with sin and what makes us sinful because the church is very quick to say that unless unless you're Catholic and then I think you're born full of sin and you have to repent for the rest of your life, most religions view the child as completely innocent and sin and like badness is something you learn and something that happens with experience and age. And so I guess they're trying to find, and everyone's trying their best to stay as pure as possible. So if they're like, oh, there's a dusty little particle that we can say is the cause of it all, then it's not our fault as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'd not thought of that. Also, I just read my note and laughed. Um, I put... Because the magisterium were scared little babies and couldn't handle not knowing what dust was, they decided it was the physical evidence for original sin. Okay, boomer. <laughs> like, how's about instead of deciding it's something, you research it and find out what it actually is and, like, fund that research? <laughs> then we get into a bunch of Bible stuff. Can I just call out Asriel being a dick again? Just one more time. So, mm-hmm. he says, do you know what original sin is? And she says, sort of. And he's like, no, you don't. And it's like, why do you have to be like this, Azriel? He's just demeaning her. Like, he knows that she didn't know the answer. And to He's be like... He's her. Yeah. Yeah. To be like, no, you don't. Fuck off, mate. Fuck off. All right. Okay. Just be like, he could say, tell me what you know of it because my understanding might be different. Or, oh, in the scientific community or in the, the way that it's relevant to what we're talking about now is this, this and this. And not just be like, no, you don't. Anyway, sorry, you were going to go into the Bible stuff. Basically, it all comes down to, oh, yay, religion. Aren't women bad, eh? So bad. Because Eve ate that apple. No. We're all evil. (laughs) We're all so gosh darn evil because Eve wanted to eat a nice apple that she was told she couldn't have. Mm -hmm. Philip Pullman does this really lovely way of pulling a text that exists in our world and the way that it sounds, the way that it's written, and making it fit his world and fit his story. I love that so much. I love it so much. I love... It's so good. I love this. And I fucking love the audacity of Philip Pullman to change such an important text, which he knew would piss so many people off. I'm so here for it. love it so much. You guys already know I'm not a religious person. I didn't know whether this was a real Bible verse, so I had to Google it, and I found the original one, and I was like comparing the two, and I was like, wow, he's just... He's just changed some words here and there and I am here for it. Yeah, I, I'm i not a religious person either, but I did, we probably stopped going to a C of E church when I was like 10, 9 or 10 or so. So like I did go to Sunday school at quite a young age and did go to like a Church of England primary school. So I do have quite a few of the Bible stories hammered into my memory, this being one of them. So we know the story, Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. They may eat of all of the fruit of the garden, but not a specific tree right in the middle, which looks real tasty. And the the serpent comes to the woman and says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, 
Then your eyes shall be opened, and your demons shall assume their true forms, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desired to reveal the true form of one's demon, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they saw the true form of their demons and spoke with them. The original in the Bible says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Mm. Yes. Fucking love this shit. Love that he's changed it. And then, so yeah, basically, he's kind of inserted a paragraph before, and they saw the difference, and they knew good and evil. He's like inserted a paragraph about demons there. Which I love. Yes. So fucking good. So... That's how sin came into the world, Asriel says. I think I might read that just because... Yep, yep, do it, do it. I think it really speaks to the nature of dust as well for later on, which Mm -hmm. is great. But when the man and woman knew their own demons, they knew that a great change had come upon them. For until that moment, it had seemed that they were at one with all the creatures of the earth and the air, and there was no difference between them. And they saw the difference, and they knew good and evil, and they were ashamed, and sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. So Phillips definitely added a thing there that said eating the apple is what has differentiated Adam and Eve and humans from the animals in terms of their consciousness and in terms of them having demons and their demons settling, which I really like. Yeah. But also, I love, Azrael then says, and that's how sin came into the world. Sin and shame and death. I'd like to question that because if we think about what the church deems as sinful especially in Lyra's world it appears to be nakedness <laughs> seeing other people naked at a certain uh, above a certain age like lusty behaviors and all this kind of stuff if Adam and Eve were running around in the garden as animals as one with animals fully naked if it's only the awareness of their nakedness that is what has changed in them then surely the level of sin is exactly the same the only thing that's been introduced is shame yeah And so if all sin really is in this context or is generally is like shame over your actions that are in a lot of ways, especially in the way this is described, that are natural or a shame of your body, which is perfectly natural, Mm -hmm. then that's shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I was going with it. But like, no, if if sin is just shame, like you're supposed to feel shame for your sins, but the sin is merely the presence of feeling shame for the things you've done. Yeah, There's no actual... Nothing has changed apart from the introduction of shame. Yeah, Asriel says, and that's how sin came into the world. And then Lyra kind of pushes back a little, which I don't hate. She comes at it from, like, a very logical sense. Um, And she says... But it ain't true, is it? Not like chemistry or engineering. Not that kind of true. That isn't really an Adam and Eve. The Cassington scholar told me it was just a kind of fairy tale. Asriel's comment here, think of Adam and Eve like an imaginary number, like the square root of minus one. You can never see any concrete proof that it exists. 
But if you include it in your equations, you can calculate all manner of things that couldn't be imagined without it. And that's interesting because we've never seen any proof that God and Jesus and all the things written in the Bible exist. There's no proof of that, right? Mm -hmm. But if you include that in your equations, you can calculate all manner of things that can't be imagined without it. So then the introduction of religion, because of those beliefs that are in the Bible, they wouldn't... Where am I? I know where I want to go in my brain, but I can't get there. Give me a second. I'm going to get there. So the way that religion has been included in society, so like all the morals and principles and things like that that have come from religion, they have come from something that was brought into existence that we can't even prove was real, but they're still so much a part of our society, if that makes sense. Yeah. If the structure of society is an equation... Yes. Religion is a big part of that equation that would make the equation look completely different if you took it out. Exactly. And there's no concrete proof that any of it exists, but then you include it in that calculation, like Azrael has said, and you can't imagine like life without it now because it's so like ingrained. Mm-hmm. God, it took me fucking ages to get there. So this <laughs> is where we... This is the part in the books where you go from, oh my God, magical bears and talking animals to, oh... The theories that underpin life, the universe, religion, God, conscious thought, sin, everything. And Philip's just going to dive right in there to a point where you can't even unpick it coherently. Right? It's one of, and like, this is really bad to say that I'm actually a writer, but like, I struggle a lot with, do you like some people thinking words and some people thinking like pictures? Like, some people think Mm. more abstract. I'm very much one of the abstract thinkers. So in my brain, I understand it perfectly. But when I try and articulate it, I have no idea how. And like when mm-hmm. I was trying to word that, I was like, fuck, I know what I mean, but I just can't fucking get that with words. Did you see the shape of it? Yeah. Like the, sh- the shape of the concept that you were trying to articulate. That yeah. happens to me all the time. Ugh. That's why I gesticulate so much when yeah. I talk. And gesticulation doesn't work very well in podcast form. No, it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't oh god yeah. i got that that hurt my fucking brain i hope you understood what i meant what like don't ask me to explain it again because i can't <laughs> please mm-hmm. <laughs> i enjoy the next bit where we find out that dust is called dust because there's a passage in the bible that was like debated about and they weren't sure what the dust stood for and it was such a good word they didn't want it to go to waste so yeah. they just used it for this The passage is, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Oh my god, it is hard to talk in words that are so like... It's like trying to learn German prepositions where a lot of the verbs (laughs) are in places. I did not do German to a GCSE level at all. It's, It's hard to read. (laughs) then it says that church scholars have always puzzled over the translation of that verse no one agrees and no one can because the text is corrupt but it was too good a word to waste that's why and that's why the particles became as dust like you said but interesting again and hopefully i can word this a bit better but this is great and obviously i would imagine very purposeful from philip pullman because there's this parallels really heavily into how people interpret the Bible today. So there isn't one set interpretation of the Bible, which is what makes for loads of conflict within Mm -hmm. Christianity and religion. Even just in terms of translations of the text, there's so many different ones. My 
church back in my village back home has a copy of the Bible that has is like a rare copy because it's the parable of vinegar and it's supposed to be the parable of the vineyard oh. but the guy who was writing it got distracted or thought he'd play a practical joke and it was back in the like hand scribing everything out days mm. um and he wrote vinegar instead of vineyard and that makes it like a cool rare copy but like imagine how much just changing one word in a sentence like that could change the entire meaning of something that you're structuring your entire life philosophy by yeah no absolutely yeah and I think that's a really interesting like paragraph where they can say that no one can agree what it means because that's actually kind of what makes a lot of religions quite dangerous because there's so many interpretations of what could mean what and there's no one there's no one text or one reading to be like no actually that's wrong you can actually interpret it in any way that you want to interpret it and that's where you get like horrendous groups like the Westboro Baptist Church and things like that because they take it to the absolute extreme anyone can read anything they want absolutely into a book that big yeah as well and that was written so long ago you can't like rock up and ask the author what their intention was and even if you could um I enjoy Philip Pullman's philosophy that writing a book is a dictatorship publishing a book is a democracy like once it's out in the world everyone's going to interpret what they want into it absolutely and whatever you take from it is whatever you get from it and that works as well for something for religious texts whatever the individual wants to take from it they can take from it and some people will twist things in ways that Mm -hmm. are bad and some people will get from it things that really help them through their life yeah definitely lyra then asks what about the gobblers and then we learn some of asriel's thoughts about mrs Coulter. he says your mother's gang clever of her to spot the chance of setting up her own power base but she's a clever woman as i dare say you've noticed it suits the magisterium to allow all kinds of different agencies to flourish they can play them off against one another If one succeeds, they can pretend to have been supporting it all along. And if it fails, they can pretend it was a renegade outfit which uh, which had never been properly licensed. (sighs) Twats. That's very government-y. It fucking is. (laughs) Truly. Right? And then it says, You see, your mother's always been ambitious for power. At first, she tried to get it in the normal way, through marriage. But that didn't work, as I think you've heard. So she had to turn to the church. Naturally, she couldn't take the route of a man. Could have taken priesthood and so on it had to be unorthodox so she had to set up her own order her own channels of influence and work through that because the patriarchy is so ingrained and so shitty mrs calder had to go through the sneakiest dodgiest back channels to gain any modicum of power that she could before she did that the other option that she had was marriage (sighs) fuck the patriarchy absolutely fuck it just fuck it yeah think about how great mrs calder could have been if she it depends where she sits morally but like if she had just been able to get the power she craved without these barriers that's super interesting because do you think that she would have gone this way because it says the next sentence is literally it was a good move to specialize in dust because everyone was frightened of it and no one knew what to do so she came in and thought i can get power by specialising in dust because nobody else wants to do it and that's my way in. If she could have gone through the normal route of gaining power like a man could, and I'm doing inverted commas for everyone listening, do you, she might not have even gone, ended up down this path. She might have ended up... We don't really know that much about her, her moral compass apart from that she's okay with fucking cutting kids in half. But like, 
would she have ended up down this path? We just don't know. Is this path the extreme route that she had to go to in order to get the power that she craved? If she was a man, could she have done it the lazy way and just asked for it and had it handed to her on a plate and she could just be some kind of tip-top priest wielding her power to whatever level of benevolence she sees fit? Mm. But it sounds like a pretty corrupt governmental structure anyway. Absolutely. Besides the fact that it's patriarchal and crappy. Hooray! (laughs) Asriel's acknowledged that Coulter has gone down a darker more taboo road in order to get the power. And Lyra responds, but they were cutting and she can't bring herself to say it. You know what they were doing. Why did the church let them do anything like that? And that's, he mentions that there's this like precedent and goes into talking about castration and castrato for the means of altering a member of a choir's voice. And that that's like a practice thing within the church. This is fucking vile. And it's, I think it is a thing, it's right? True, Did yeah. you also Google this? Yeah. Faye's been a Googler. Yeah. I didn't know this. I knew what castration was, but I, I didn't know that it was a thing that the church did just so they could have some fucking singers in their choir. What the fuck? That is just the fucking vilest thing I've ever heard. But again, it brings it back to this parallel that we were seeing a few chapters ago of not just FGM now, but just general GM yeah, for religious reasons or justified by these like structures of religious power structures and philosophies. And that thing of saying like, oh, the intercision process in these books is referred to as a little cut a lot of times. That is a parallel that you see linguistically across things like FGM and stuff. And it's also referred to here with the castrato and castration as just a little cut so it's saying there's a precedent there of like one little cut and if you describe it in a similar way to the power structures as something they're familiar with they're more likely to approve it and that just is such a scary concept because there's so many laws being passed they're like oh it's very similar to this other law that you've got but it's slightly more extreme and that's how you get to really scary places what kind of horrible fuckery is this it's right so we've spent this whole book or most of this book being horrendously grossed out and just horrified by children getting cut away from their demons and then right in one of the last chapters and i know that we've like you mentioned we've had these parallels with fgm but right in one of the last chapters fucking phillips just laid out in front of us and just being like this actually something very much like this actually does happen in real life to real people Mm -hmm. And for what seems like much more frivolous reasons than like, yes, it's for a singing voice. It's far more frivolous than what Coulter's goal is, which is to like save everybody's souls from from sin, sin, which feels like a much higher purpose and also a much more extreme operation. But that does not a logical decision make. (laughs) Absolutely not. And I cannot, does it still happen? I don't think so. I I wouldn't think so. It can't, right? If it is, it ha- surely it has to be an elective, like, mm. free will decision. I'm just shooketh. This entire chapter has just <laughs> shook me right up. We also find out that the actual cutting idea of cutting a child away from their demon 
ooh, it was Mrs. Coulter's mm. idea in the first place, which is another reason she's a scary lady. But she she had seen that more dust settled on people from these experiments that she was aware of when their demon settled. And so she theorised that if you could separate the demon from the body before they settled, that the dust may not be attracted to them. And she'd seen that it was possible to separate a human and a demon because of her travels and because of those lots of different like cultural practices that she has seen on her travels. And they refer to something that she has seen in Africa, for instance. The Africans have a way of making a slave called a zombie, spelled Mm Z-O-M-B-I. It has no will of its own. It will work day and night without ever running away or complaining. It looks like a corpse. And Lyra shouts, it's a person without their demon. So that's what Mrs. Coulter's witness that makes her realise that it's possible to separate a person from their demon and have them still live. Yeah. She also mentions that Tony Costa told her about the horrible phantoms that they have in the Northern Forest. I suppose they might be the same kind of thing. So that was when Tony Costa was just trying to scare the shit out of her, basically. Back in the day, back in like one of the earlier chapters. Asriel says that the, the General Ablation Board grew out of ideas like that and out of the church's obsession with original sin. So we're really, 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 really hamming into this backstory now. We're getting all the answers that we've wanted to get since this book started, really. This is it all, this is it all laid out for us. And it's, it's a fucking lot. I remember when I first read it and I was like, I definitely don't get it. And also now, this has been so far a really really good conversation that we've had and i've really enjoyed it but fucking hell my brain hurts it is exhausting and it's the kind of thing where when you first read through it if you're in it for the story and the fun and the adventure this is the stuff that it adds layers to it it adds depth to it but unless you're going to go and read a bunch of essays which i totally haven't it's really hard to dig into in a way that you feel competent enough to dig into it but in a way i think it's quite good to come from uh so from our perspective of kind of doing very top line research and i think it's quite good to come at it from a i am just reading it face value position because there are so many like wonderful essays and stuff digging really deep into the the world of of his dark materials and they're all wonderful and i really applaud people that do all of that research but then the majority of people are just going to read it as a as a book and they're not really going to think anything else of it. We're, you're very much getting the layperson's perspective from us. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. But I think as well, the ideas that you have as a person, so like you, Rich, and me, and then everyone listening and reading, the things that come to you straight away when you're reading this, that's your truth for reading the book, if that makes sense. You can kind of project yourself onto, onto like characters or whatever and you draw from your own experience when you're reading books and you read different subte- subtexts and I think that that's also really important. I'm never the person that would want to do such heavy research into books because I I don't want it to spoil my reading of it because my reading Mm. of books is always really special to me and it's always something that I try not to lose as I like move on. There's definitely books that I can't read anymore because we read them at school and I would never want that to happen to these books for me, which is quite selfish of me. (laughs) But yeah, I'm never going to write an essay about it because I'm not an essay writing person. (laughs) Yeah, and people just read things differently like people do the research because that's how that's what helps them understand or that's that's the joy that they get from reading books like this but for me personally I like to just go with my gut and like my gut feel and what I'm feeling about these characters and the situation and all that kind of stuff Mm. speaking of gut feelings Asriel goes on to talk about the fact that the ablation board 
when they made the cut, something happened, but they didn't notice it. It wasn't what they were focused on. And what happens is an immensely powerful force or energy that occurs for a fraction of a second when the link between human and demon is severed. They didn't notice it because they mistook it for shock or disgust or moral outrage. And I love that they were just like, oh, it's probably just shock, disgust or moral outrage at this thing that we're doing, but we'll carry on doing it. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck you that, know? it's fine. Yeah, it's fine, don't worry about it. Um, and he says like, oh, so, you know, they never realised or never thought of harnessing it. Lyra is kind of distressed by this whole talk, this conversation. It's so cruel. It's kind of, she's probably reliving a lot of her trauma right now because of being put in the machine with Pan. Yeah, yeah. And she turns to Azriel and says, and what were you doing? Did you do any of the cutting? Because he seems to know so much about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't he have? And he kind of brushes it off quite quickly and is just like, oh, I'm interested in something quite different. <laughs> he says the sinister thing. Oh, I don't think the ablation board goes far enough. No. What does that I mean? I want to go to the source of dust itself. What does I'm sorry, that you don't think mean? that people that are cutting parts of children's souls away from their bodies are going far enough? I mean, <laughs> what? Jesus that's sinister. Christ. So <laughs> sinister. So sinister. So he says he wants to go to the source of dust itself, and Lyra says, Where does it come from? And then he says, from the other universe, we can see through the aurora. Lyra turned around again. Her father was lying back on his chair, lazy and powerful, his eyes as fierce as his demons. She didn't love him. She couldn't trust him, but she had to admire him. And the extravagant luxury he'd assembled in this desolate wasteland and the power of his ambition. And I don't disagree. I don't mm -hmm. disagree in the admiration that she has for what he has managed to build for himself from being a prisoner. This is the thing. This is what I'm saying about him being quite a Slytherin. Yeah. You can respect and admire the ambition without having to assess whether he's a good person or not. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think. And that's what Lyra is saying. She doesn't love him. She doesn't trust him, but she admires his achievements. Yeah. Because that seems to be all he's focused on anyway. <laughs> Very true. So she asks what the other universe is and he says it's one of billions of parallel worlds. Which we've heard Kaiser talk about before when he flapped his wings and said he'd brushed a million worlds. So oh, yeah. this isn't news to Lyra. No, definitely not. And and it, and then Asriel said straight away that the witches have known about them for centuries. First theologians to approve their existence mathematically were excommunicated 50 or more years ago. Classic magisterium. <laughs> we don't like what you think. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> fucking hell. This whole bit here, right? I was going to say, it's a relatively common theory in physics and in sci-fi and in it's used quite a lot the multiple worlds based on branching decisions yeah theory so he explains it in the most common way that i think most people will have heard it explained before which is if you flip a coin the possibilities are equal that it will end up heads or tails and so when it lands heads in your world the possibility that this thing was tails kind of disappears from your future However, the theory is that simultaneously in a world parallel to yours, the same coin has landed the opposite way and that future carries on in that direction. And so at that point at which a decision could have been made, realities branch off and split. But he also goes on to say decisions are more complex than just a 50-50 coin flip. So there's constantly thousands of realities branching off from any one decision or point of unknown outcome at any time. 
Infinite Worlds, hooray! How sci-fi, how sci-fi for a fantasy book, hey? <laughs> Which I love, it's what I love about these books. Yeah, it's very sci-fi. I struggled, I'm glad you just explained that to me, because I struggled to understand that when I read it. It's very complicated. I bloody love a bit of sci-fi. This is very, um, very much on that. And it, I feel like it's also a thing that a lot of, it kind of factors into a lot of physics and philosophy and other stuff like that and loads of people love to talk about multiple world theories and i think one of the most common accepted things is that it's all based on timelines diverging he then says that he's going to the world beyond the aurora because that's where he thinks all the dust in this universe comes from he said you saw the slides i showed the scholars in the retiring room you saw dust pouring into this world from the aurora you've seen that city yourself if light can cross the barrier between the universes, if dust can, if we can see that city, then we can build a bridge and cross. It needs a phenomenal burst of energy, but I can do it. Somewhere out there is the origin of all the dust, all the death, the sin, the misery, the destructiveness in the world. Human beings can't see anything without wanting to destroy it, Lyra. That's original sin, and I'm going to destroy it. Death is going to die. Which is a very confusing statement in itself, right? It somehow feels very linked to what the witches were saying about Lyra, and I really just kind of picked that up as you were reading it out to me. What does he actually mean by death is going to die? Does he want everyone to be immortal? Is that what he wants? So he wants to, like, along with, like, getting rid of all the evil shit in the world. Like, isn't that what the Magisterium wants? I don't understand what he means by death is going to die. Yeah, this is what he reminded me of. This child is destined to bring about the end of destiny. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, it's just it very much feels like she's destined to bring about the end of destiny and he's intent on killing death. But what does that death mean? Death is going to die. It mean, I don't I don't know, but it's like Tell what does me. it mean destined to bring about the end of destiny? Mm. Like it's such a it's an is it an oxymoron? Is that a thing where something contradicts itself? Like it's a contradiction in terms in a lot of ways. I like it. It's a weird ambition. Like maybe he does think that nobody'll die. Clearly he's never read Terry Pratchett's Reaper Man where death goes on holiday and nobody dies and it, it really turns out not very good um, but it's a great book <laughs> it kind of reads to me and i might be getting the wrong end of the stick that he wants what the magisterium wants he wants to get like it says is the origin of all the dust all the death the sin the misery the destructiveness and i'm going to destroy it that's what the magisterium wants right it is but manipulating people based on their guilt and their shame around their sins is how the magisterium holds power over people so if Azriel were to obliterate the source of all sin the magisterium would no longer have power to control society i think so yes. they don't want anyone to like dig deeper into it because they've already quite like got their happy little power structure where they've got all the control that they want over the regular people they don't want someone to go and like dig deeper into all their mythology when they can just sit on their happy little throne and rule over us all that makes sense thank mm -hmm. you thank you for that <laughs> but it does seem like the same goal, which is why it's so hypocritical of them to imprison him. <laughs> yes. She then asks if that's why they put him on Svalbard, and he says, yes, they're terrified of him and with good reason. And then he stands up and then Lyra, she looks at him, she sits still, she's afraid of her father and she admired him profoundly and she thought he was stark mad. But who was she to judge? And I was like, you, Lyra, because you judged that guy in that prison for being mad only two chapters ago, and you yeah. judged him hard. <laughs> yeah, you can't just pick and choose who you judge, Lyra. Judge everybody or judge nobody. Yeah, right. <laughs> he tells her to go to bed, and she turns to leave, and she tells him that he's left the alethiometer, and he said he doesn't 
need it now and wouldn't be able to read it anyway without the books. Oh, great. Glad I made this massive fucking journey to give you the alethiometer and you don't even fucking want it. Cool. Cool. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it'd have saved us like a few pages if he'd have just said he didn't want it when she tried to give it to him the first time and they didn't end up having a conversation about dust. But I guess now we know more about the world. (laughs) True. He says that he thinks the master was giving it to her anyway and he asks if the master actually told her to bring it to him. And she says yes, but then she actually realises that he never said that. She's just assumed it this whole time. Like, the master never said, take the alethiometer to Azrael. And he's like, oh, well, it's fine. I don't want it. Bye. <laughs> he's, he's literally just like, it's yours now. And she's like, oh, but... And she keeps... She wants... She's got, like, a dozen questions she wants to ask. But he's like, good night. Goodbye. Shh. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, fucks off out the um, room. Off. Goodbye. Yep. And then she yeah. just sits by the fire and watches him leave the room. And that's the end of that chapter. Oh, my gosh. That was such an intense chapter what a chapter what a fucking chapter this might be one although it's been very mentally exhausting this might be one of my favorite episodes that we've done because it's helped me understand things a lot more than when i first read it because i think a lot of it is very difficult to understand well done for you to read for reading as a kid because like if i'd read that as a kid i would have been like what the fuck is going on it's definitely the stuff that i tried to read and skimmed over yeah or like the stuff that i it went in my eyes and out out the back of my head because I, I'm sure I wasn't able to process a lot of that. Yeah. But this is the thing, like, even reading any of that as, like, a 13, 14-year-old is kind of crazy. Like, if you were to pick up... If my parents were to pick up this book at the end of the book and crack it open on one of those pages and read it, they'd be like, are you some kind of genius child? <laughs> because... The rest of the book is cool fighting bears, flying witches, strange experiments, talking animals. Like, it's so fantasy. And then various chapters, you'll open it up and be like, oh, this is like a philosophical discussion that Philip is trying to engage in with the reader. And being engaged in those discussions at such a young age when you've just picked up a book for talking animals and witches is intimidating. But also getting used to reading that kind of stuff at a younger age definitely has like pushed my thinking and it's pushed me into being able to read things like that more easily yeah and it is written in a way that's semi-digestible that's great i wonder how i would have read it as a child because religion and things like that i've never really been prevalent in my life and and i've always been like as i've mentioned before kind of against religion anyway and i wonder how i would have read it as a child if it would have like enhanced those feelings but I can't imagine even understanding the the religious undertones as a child anyway, so... What, ooh, what is the next chapter called? The next chapter is quite ominously called Betrayal. Oh boy, is this that betrayal that they've been talking about all, all the This book? one that Lyra's been destined to do since chapter two. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Do you have no award to give out? I got there before you. I could see you. I like, was going to ask you that. I saw oh you my post gosh. It and I jumped in. Same page. <laughs> um, it's it's got to be for Roger. I I trust his gut, and he should trust his gut. And he's been so great, so brave. He's travelled across the world. He's been rescued. He could have gone back with the Egyptians and the other children, but he's gone on with Lyra because he's a brilliant best friend, and he's here to support his bestie. And he is living in the moment and I'm here for it. 
Roger, it's for you. Mine's also for Roger, and I'm not even changing it because he just fucking deserves it. I'm everything you said, and also just the fact that he's right, rightfully suspicious of fucking stupid Azrael. So, mm-hmm. yes. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at HerDarkMaterialsPod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan and losing my mind over really complicated things, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about Azriel being a dick, then I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachmakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge thanks to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. We'll see you in a week's time, and don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. take like some deep calming breaths after that really intense episode and nap because that's what i'm gonna go and do put the kettle on have a cup of tea (laughs) bye bye